At the start of 2016, the Supreme Court seemed to be following a familiar pattern. The court had a handful of major cases, and Justice Anthony Kennedy and Chief Justice John Roberts were expected to cast the pivotal votes. On February 13th, everything changed. Antonin Scalia's sudden death threw the court into a period of uncertainty that continues to this day. In March, President Obama nominated Judge Merrick Garland to fill the seat and called on the Senate to act on the nomination. I simply ask Republicans in the Senate to give him a fair hearing and then an up or down vote. If you don't, then it will not only be an abdication of the Senate's constitutional duty, it will indicate a process for nominating and confirming judges that is beyond repair. But Senate Republicans, led by Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, weren't moved. The American people may well elect a president who decides to nominate Judge Garland for Senate consideration. The next president may also nominate somebody very different. Either way, our view is this. Give the people a voice in filling this vacancy. Republicans held out, Donald Trump won the election, and now the Supreme Court's future looks very different than it did a few months ago. Here to talk about this very unusual year at the Supreme Court, one that also included some very big liberal victories on abortion and affirmative action, is Kimberly Robinson, who covers the Supreme Court for Bloomberg BNA. Kimberly, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So let's go back to Scalia's death. Share with me where you were when you heard about it and what your immediate reaction was. Oh, no. Well, this is a little embarrassing. I was at Chuck E. Cheese with my children at a <laughs> birthday party. I still don't think they've forgiven me for dragging them out of there. Um, but I think my reaction was, like so many others, just complete shock. I mean, Justice Scalia had been on the court for 30 years. He was just such a, you know, a part of that institution that it was shocking to hear that he had passed away unexpectedly, even though, you know, we were kind of anticipating that there might be some vacancies on the court even even before that happened. Yeah, there was so much, uh, he's such a larger than life figure. I, I was driving my son to basketball practice at the time. And, uh, uh, you know, there were so many things to think about. And I know I spent the whole weekend writing and reporting and just trying to think about the immediate impact of what it meant for this term, the long term impact, Scalia's legacy. Uh, you know, there was so much to comprehend. And I think it even took folks on the court uh, quite a while to do that too. How would you describe how the court handled those next few months after Scalia died? They, they uh, you know, lost, uh, you know, a colleague and, you know, they also lost a vote. So they ended up with, with only eight justices for the rest of the term. Well, I think there's really two ways to answer that question. You know, one is personally and one is kind of legally. And so on the personal level, you know, although Justice Scalia was sometimes controversial to people outside of the court, he was very well liked within the court. You know, he he famously had good friendships with people, uh, his colleagues on the court who were his exact ideological opposite. Um, and so justices themselves have said that, you know, the, the Supreme Court is just more of a somber place without him. Legally, as you mentioned, you know, the court was kind of left with even an even number of justices. And I think even though the justices tried to say that they just they deal with it and, you know, the court would go on, I think we saw them struggle a little bit. And I, and I think the best example of that is uh, the Supreme Court's sort of non-decision in a, in a case about Obamacare and religious freedom. And we saw them send that case back, but it really seemed more like a legislative fix. Yeah, that... 
That was a very weird, weird order. Like, you know, it was essentially trying to broker a settlement, which is something maybe you see a trial judge do, but but not uh, not the Supreme Court. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that case gave me a sense that there there was a little bit of struggling. You know, most of the Supreme Court cases don't come down five to four. So they were able to come to a consensus um, on most of the cases. But on the really tight cases, you know, we did see some really big four um, four decisions. Yeah, so, so tell me what, there were some significant decisions. What, what would you say you know, of the decisions was for you the, the, the biggest surprise? Well, I mean, there aren't a lot of cases at the Supreme Court that are really surprising. I think, you know, the Supreme Court, as far as Washington goes, is pretty calm. Mm -hmm. um, but the one that did have me scratching my head was the court's decision on affirmative action, upholding the University of Texas at Austin's affirmative action program. You know, the case had been before the court before. It didn't really seem like a lot had changed. And yet we saw Anthony Kennedy, who was and now seems like will continue to be the swing justice, vote in favor of the program. To me, that was surprising. I think it was even surprising to the attorneys who, who represented uh, the university in that case. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree. And the one other case I would put up there, interested in your reaction to it, is is um, for a different reason. I was surprised by the immigration case. This is a challenge to the president's program of deferring deportation uh, for a large number of people. And the court split 4-4. Uh, on that. And, and the reason I was surprised was not so much that that's where the justices came down, but that they couldn't find a way to avoid that 4-4 split. Because essentially what you had was, was uh, you know, the president's, a big presidential initiative being struck down because a lower court had had uh, said the president over overstepped his authority and the Supreme Court then couldn't reach it, reach any decision. So I, I thought they were going to come up with something that would, uh, you know, let that, you know, say something in that case. Yeah, I don't know if it was as important for them to get to uh, a consensus in that case, because the lower court had already made a ruling that was going to be uh, applicable nationally. And so it wasn't as if the decisions that the Supreme Court, you know, or the non-decision that they made, were going to create these, you know, different laws in different parts of the country. Um, so, I, I mean, I wasn't as surprised by the immigration decision um, as I was by affirmative action. But you know, this term was was strange. Yeah. So so we have just about a minute left, but let's try to look ahead a little bit. Uh, first, when when do you think we're going to get a, a next justice? The, the last round of arguments is is in late April. You think we're going to see a new justice? before then? Well, Donald Trump said on December 1st he was going to release a nominee, uh, the name of a nominee soon. Uh, we're a month out. We haven't gotten it. I think it would be hard to get somebody on the court before then. Uh, we still have to go through confirmation hearings. Uh, it certainly is possible because many of these people are already federal judges. They've been through the confirmation process before, but I think it depends on who Donald Trump ultimately picks. Yeah, And, and if you're right on that, does that mean we're, we're sort of different? Right now, the court doesn't have you know any real blockbuster cases. Are we just kind of punting for, for a while? not going to have any major cases before the court until until the next term? Well, there are some big cases on the Supreme Court's docket. Whether or not they'll go ahead and hear them, uh, I will have to see. There's still some chance of that. But it does seem like we're putting off a lot of the, the bigger decisions. Uh, that, that That is certainly the case. One of those uh, potential cases they have uh, has to do with the Texas uh, voter ID requirement. We're going to talk about that in a, in a few minutes here on Bloomberg Law. Coming up, uh, we'll talk about another area where the Supreme Court has made a difference, environmental law. Uh, talk about what's what's ahead there, including what's going to happen with President Obama's clean power plan, uh, which is a centerpiece of his environmental agenda. That's coming up on Bloomberg Law. This is Bloomberg. 